Hey, listening audience, welcome back to Noggin Notes. I am Jake Wiskirchen. I am your host, and I am excited because this particular podcast is me interviewing somebody I've looked up to for quite some time. Um, for those of you who don't know, my undergraduate degree is actually in journalism, and I consider myself somewhat of a journalism geek, and I really enjoy following the profession and digesting lots of different forms of media and just intaking information and then critically analyzing it and seeing where it comes from and and that kind of thing. And it's it's just something that I've, I've always enjoyed, uh, even though I don't work in that profession any longer. It's, um, it's just always been near and dear to my heart. And so our guest today is a guy named John Ralston, who has been doing Nevada politics and news for uh, many years. And he's always done it very, very well, I thought. I thought he was always very well polished and highly professional, and he turns out good content. And in the last couple of years, he's founded and run an organization called the Nevada Independent, which is an independent nonprofit newspaper that has done a what I believe is an exceptional job in covering the things that matter most in Nevada. And I'm going to let him talk more about this throughout the course of the interview so that you can get a, a broader context of what it's like and um, the experiences of the profession and whatnot. And you may be wondering what the does this have to do with mental health? Well, um, the way we intake our news media has an absolute effect on our psychological ability to respond to the environment. Um, if we don't trust what we're being told, then we're going to be suspicious and suspicion breeds fear and fear breeds anxiety. And in a world, uh, you know, today where we have fake news, uh, bandied about as a, a common phrase in our, our everyday language, um, we have a deep suspicion of everything that we hear. And then what that tends to do is it pushes us into our echo chambers. We retreat into the corners of um, information that we we think we know best, and then we don't emerge. And then we get very rigid in our beliefs, and those beliefs clash with other beliefs. And then we get very binary in our thinking. And you guys know, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, that uh, binary thinking begets lots of really poor outcomes. Uh, anxiety for one, um, conflict for another, um, violence in some cases. Um, but, but at bare minimum, it doesn't allow people to grow. And that's not how things advance. That's not how we progress. Um, it's, it's not healthy. So what we want to do is we want to be very good discerning consumers of our media. And we want to know the origins of what it is that we're intaking into our psyches and how the information comes about. So I thought there's no better person in my world than John Ralston with whom I could speak about how our listening audience can learn and take their information a little bit more judiciously. And I think the Nevada Independent's a great way to to do that because I, I've always said that they're straight down the middle. They're very, very balanced. They cover things very well. And um, I'm going to let John tell the story about how that unfolds. But in the meantime, uh, if you're interested in supporting the show, we certainly accept that support. Go to Audible and check it out. If you haven't yet um, and you don't know what audiobooks are or you're not used to audio content, you can get a free trial at audibletrial.com slash nogginnotes. They're our sponsor and we really encourage you to go get a free audiobook with your audio, Audible trial and it lasts for 30 days. No commitments required. Just sign in, download your free audiobook, 
and even keep it if you decide to cancel. It's audibletrial.com slash Notes. And because Audible is an Amazon product, Amazon has a far reach into all sorts of commerce and media. Uh, their selection is truly unmatched. So check out audibletrial.com slash Notes. Get your free 30-day trial. Get your free audiobook. And uh, even keep it if you decide to cancel. And you'll be helping us out and you'll be helping yourself out because you'll be feeding your brain. Also, obviously, we're sponsored by Zephyr Wellness. That's the company that I co-own in Reno, Nevada. We just celebrated our fifth anniversary. Can't believe it's been a half a decade. We're coming up on three years of noggin notes. It's amazing. Uh, where does the time go? But anyway, we're glad to have you along. And if you want to learn more about us, you can check out ZephyrWellness.org. Check out our YouTube channel for tips and hints and insights on how to keep your noggin ticking in a healthy way. And uh, follow us on Instagram. Follow Noggin Notes on Instagram, too. In the meantime, I hope you enjoy my interview with John Ralston, editor and founder of the Nevada Independent. Well, this episode, we have John Ralston of the Nevada Independent. I should say currently of the Nevada Independent because you've had a long career of covering things, uh, chiefly politics and chiefly in the state of Nevada since you moved here, what, some 35 years ago or so? That's right. 35 years ago, Jake. That's pretty wild. Um, hi, John. Uh, <laughs> welcome to Noggin Notes. And uh, today, I really want to explore the idea of journalism and uh, where it's come from, where it's gone. And for, for the listenership, I don't, I don't reference this very often. I don't, I don't think if ever on the podcast, but I have a journalism undergrad. I, I did some freelance writing. Uh, mine's in public relations. I've done some print, never really in television. But um, I have a heart and a passion for for journalism as it's uh as in its purest form, I guess. And um, some of what's evolved really encourages me and some of what's evolved kind of sickens me. So I figured what better to, than to have the editor and founder of the Nevada Independent on and uh, talk a little bit about that. So if you wouldn't mind, give, give people your, your uh, verbal resume, I guess, your, your biography and let them know who you are and what you do. So yeah, I mean, I, I am, uh, I've been a Nevadan since 1984. I uh, came here after getting a uh, master's in journalism at the University of Michigan. I'd gone undergrad and got an English degree at Cornell University. I'm from Buffalo, New York originally, uh, and came here from Ann Arbor in grad school. And I started as a night police reporter at the Las Vegas Review Journal. And then uh, uh, that was the best place to cut uh, my teeth, as many of my mentors had told me, and I always say to people, if you can deal with cops, you can deal with politicians. It's no comparison. Uh, and as, as we're seeing, unfortunately, from recent events, I think people know what I mean. Uh, so uh, after that, I covered the Clark County Commission for a little while, and then I started to fall in love with politics, and I became the Review Journal's political reporter and then a political columnist there uh, for a time that I started my own newsletter called the Ralston Report. Uh, and uh, was just a freelancer for the RJ. And then the Las Vegas Sun, Greenspun uh, uh, Empire, uh, lured me away with, uh, with promises of my own television show, which was then on a cable channel owned by uh, the, the Sun and, the, and, and Cox Communications and the CBS affiliate. And that's how I started my TV career uh, in the mid-90s or so, and uh, or I should say the, the, that was actually the early 2000s, and then 
Uh, I was on various TV stations doing, doing a show for a long time. That became my bread and butter. I loved doing it. I did it for 15 and a half years or so. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, when my last TV show ended, uh, uh, and, and it ended quite abruptly, and that, that was not a fun experience, and one maybe I'll write about someday about uh, the corruption of public television uh, in, in Nevada. Uh, I started thinking about what I wanted to do next, and uh, I was getting older, and I decided the one thing I'd never done was to run a, was to run my own news organization, and I figured I was now old enough to actually uh, be able to do that and to mentor young journalists, and I decided to go with the nonprofit model for a variety of different reasons. I had to go out and raise some money, and once I did, I hired the three best young journalists in the state and an editor who was a good friend of mine and a reliable uh, uh, number two, and off we went on January 17th of 2017, and three and a half years later almost, Jake, we're still alive, and, and it's by far the best thing I've ever done in journalism, and I'm working with the best people I've ever worked with. Alive and kicking, I might add. Um, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of what the Nevada Independent has done. I, th I repeatedly say publicly and privately that you guys shoot straight down the middle, uh, you, you don't, you don't declare, you know, any biases because you, to my recollection, you don't have any, which is really great. And you do have an op-ed section, which is awesome. And there's lots of, you know, uh, community views that are written in. And, and I, I think it's, it's really what journalism should be. It's a reporting of the news, um, lightly touched up to create a story in a context, but without swaying opinion. And I, I couldn't be more thrilled that it's in my state and covering some of the most important topics we have. If you wouldn't mind, um, hover there for a second and explain to the audience that the difference between for-profit media and non-profit media, which is where what you're in right now. Yeah, the for-profit model in media was the only one that essentially existed uh, up until a a few years ago, five, ten, I guess 10 years ago is probably the right time frame. And that, that's media that, that, and most people maybe not don't even realize this, Jake, that, that, that a lot of these media companies made a lot of money uh, through, through mostly through advertising. And uh, then the model started changing and, and advertising money wasn't what it was. Uh, and so a few nonprofits uh, uh, started up being funded by donors, uh, either individuals or, or corporations or foundations or some combination thereof. The Texas Tribune in Austin is the most successful of these. Uh, and Evan Smith, who uh, had been, uh, I had interacted with on Twitter and, and had said that he really admired my work, was the person I went to first when I started thinking about, about a nonprofit site. And he gave me a lot of great advice. And so now we, we are uh, in business through the generosity of donors. Every single one of our donors, from $5 uh, all the way up to our major corporate uh, sponsors, donors, is listed on the site. I, I, I believed in transparency from the beginning. I thought that was what we had to uh, uh, plant our flag on. And uh, I'm so proud of being able to do that. And people can think what they want based on who our donors are. And I'm willing to answer questions of anyone, but no one has ever really questioned that, that, that my reporters or, or, or our organization's been swayed by any of those donors. And by the way, I've said this before, and it's still true three and a half years later, none of our major donors have ever called 
uh, to complain or to ask for stories to be killed or, 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 or to be done, which is nice um, because yeah. I know there, there are advertisers at other uh, news organizations who have done that. And I know there are owners of various news organizations who, who dictate news or kill stories based on friendships or, or, or advertising. And so that has not been an issue for us. It is freeing in many ways to be able to uh, 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 be a nonprofit and, and, and operate the way that we do. Now, in case people are wondering, I get a salary. My number two gets a salary. I pay my reporters pretty well. At least I did up until the pandemic hit. And then I had to cut our budget in half. And by the way, I haven't taken a salary in, 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 in more than two months. And so it's been tough. Um, but our, our readers have come through and, and we're still in business. And we have a decent amount of funding now in the bank. Uh, at the current budget, but the current budget is not where I want to be, uh, Jake. And, but my staff has stepped up. Uh, they, they, I think they, they are thrilled that not, no one lost his or her job during this time, and uh, they have worked as hard and as productively as as anyone, I, uh, any staff you can name during this pandemic. And the coverage that they have produced has just left me in awe of their talents and work ethic. And I know people might get sick of me gushing about my staff, but it's real. I believe in them. They're not just great journalists, they're great human beings, and they believe in the mission. And I think of us as a family. So it's probably more than you wanted to know from that from that one question, but that's the answer. No, that's great. I gush regularly about my own staff here at Zephyr, and I refer to us as a family, and that's something that my partner Lindsay and I set out purposely to do is to create a family type environment. Um, and it's amazing what kind of loyalty that builds in through hard times when people are faced with tough decisions, you can still execute and produce the product with uh, a high degree of integrity when that when people are not just there for the paycheck, right? They're there for the mission and the purpose. Um, so, I mean, this being a mental health podcast, we talk about, you know, psychological things. My hope was to, to discuss a little bit about what journalism's impact is upon the greater populace, um, certainly in America where, where we are, but also around the world and maybe how it looks differently and then certainly how it's evolved. So take us through what you've seen in your career. Um, my, my, education in undergrad came in the late 90s and early 2000s. So it's, it's approximately 20 years old now. And um, the internet at that time was this thing that we were still discussing in classroom, you know, would it or would it not kill the physical paper? Uh, no, everybody's still going to want a physical paper because they want to swap flies or line their birdcage or you know, whatever it was. And uh, so the practicality of, of the, the newspaper, as we've known it for many, many years, uh, was apparently the the thing that was going to save the industry. Now we've realized that that's largely, you know, fallen by the wayside, uh, in some cases, tragically. And now we're glued to our devices. And, uh, you know, I wake up in the morning, and that's where I get my news. And my kid says, why are you still on your phone? I'm like, well, if this were 2002, I'd be physically looking at a piece of paper and still ignoring you. Uh, so um, help help people understand what we talk all about the importance of journalism. What it, why is it important? And what does it do for our culture and our, our society? Well, there, there are many reasons that it's, that it's important. Uh, and, you know, uh, holding the, the, you know, uh, afflicting people in power and, and, and the comfortable, uh, holding them in check, uh, uh, providing, providing a, a, a window into how 
uh, government works and how institutions work or don't work, uh, but also just to um, illuminate things for people that are, for, who are too busy uh, to, 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 to try to figure out things for themselves. They've got kids to raise, they've got jobs to go to. And so I see our job, and I always have, but even more so with what we're doing now, and we have a different kind of mission than a regular newspaper in some ways, is to go in depth and to show, to help people understand some of the complicated issues that are out there and affecting their lives, whether they're environmental issues or, 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 or political issues or, or, or issues like immigration or energy and things, things that, 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 that they really need to understand to be productive citizens and, and to frankly help elect the best people, even though that isn't always going to happen. Uh, and, and so uh, it has been very distressing throughout my entire career, uh, Jake, especially when I started, started covering politics in 1986, when, believe me, the internet didn't exist and covering things was a lot different uh, then. And, and you know, a, a getting a story out fast meant getting it out the next day, not in the next 30 minutes or 15 minutes, which is what it means now, totally different world. But what has been distressing is that as we have evolved from, from just a print environment and, and, and TV news into this multifarious ways that you can uh, get information uh, just from your phone, by, by the way. And by the way, I should just say real quickly, if I forget to say it later, half of our readers come in through mobile devices. So it really is, and it's a big deal. A lot of them are young people, as you know, uh, and I consider you young, by the way, Jake, uh, based on where you said you, you, what years you went to school. So the, bo the bottom line is it's been very distressing to get back to my point, to watch the slow diminishment in the public's eyes of what we do, meaning journalists. Uh, when I grew up, uh, the, the, you know, I, I grew up at the end of, uh, of, uh, of the time of a guy named Walter Cronkite, who was the most respected man in America when he read the news. Uh, and and, he, and most network anchors were revered, now not so much. Uh, and, and where people believed what they read in the New York Times or heard on the NBC nightly news, they believed it. Uh, and, and there was reason to believe it, too. I think there still is, but with the proliferation of people calling themselves journalists, with the proliferation of social media, where misinformation or disinformation can be pushed into the mainstream, and where scandals or many scandals have tarnished the media and we get painted with a broad brush, it's been very, very difficult uh, to, to, to do our jobs, or more difficult uh, to do our jobs. One of the reasons I started The Independent was for this reason. Uh, the, 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 the I don't like this phrase that much either, but it was a perfect storm in the sense that Sheldon Adelson, who was the biggest Republican donor in the world, had just purchased the largest newspaper in the state, the Review Journal, the Las Vegas Sun, which was a competitor in name only, was running out of resources, wasn't doing that much. And you had a candidate running for president, and this is not a partisan comment at all, but who was trying to delegitimize the media, the mainstream media, taking advantage of, of, of decades of a worsening uh, impression of the media by the American public. And I, I said to myself, there has got to be a segment of people out there who are yearning for something 
transparent, deep, down the middle, a place where they can go. And after they click off of it, say, you know, I trust the indie. I trust the information that I, that I find there. Um, and I think that is what we've achieved to, 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 to a great extent. There's always going to be naysayers. Not every story is perfect. We make mistakes because we're human beings. But I think that, that my faith has been borne out that there is a yearning out there for, for, for an antidote to, 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 to some of what, what's out there, some of the noise, the disinformation, the partisan news sites, both sides. And that is why I think to the degree that we've been successful, and by the way, I judge success in the number of days that we've been alive and we're still alive, as I said, three and a half years later and still going strong. I think we've been successful in doing that and creating that brand. I think you're right. And I think, um, you know, from a, from a psychological perspective, people just get worn out of uh, the hyperbole. Our brains aren't built to receive that level of um, excitement and surprise and fear all to all the time. Right. And, and I don't know if it started with the emergence of the 24 hour news cycle or the, you know, every time you turn on the TV, there's a ticker now with more information than just the information being presented. Um, but certainly it's, it's starting to have a wearing effect on, on folks. And I, and I got to believe that we're just overloaded and, it, and rather than more disparate information sources, it would be nice if we could pare that down and have a few really reliable ones. Uh, one of which is, is your organization. It, help us understand how people can sift through the noise and discern the signal within the noise. Uh, when you've got people, like you said, calling themselves journalists, but really they're just, they're just people writing a blog or um, people who are journalists, um, but they're so strongly opinionated that we can't separate like opinion from news anymore. Um, and then talk a little bit, if you would, about codes of ethics, because, you know, when we're, when we're educated in this profession, there is a code of ethics and there's a, there's a style guide uh, that other people may not necessarily adhere to. Uh, and that's the same as in the counseling profession too. You, have, you know, lots of people out there doing it the right way and they don't have to have a license to do it as long as they're doing it, you know, the right way. Uh, people get helped. How do we how do we help the public figure this out? You know, it's 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 a really tough question, Jake. And 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 uh, uh, you know, there is so much noise out there that it's tough. It's tough to find the signal in the noise. Uh, and I, I I've given a lot of speeches about this over the years, and people ask questions like that: Where do I go? Uh, what do you read, John, that, that, that you trust? And I can name places, but that's not really going to be helpful. What would be helpful is if people were more discerning. The real problem that I think has developed in this country uh, 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 over the last decade or so, maybe even a little longer, is what I call the validation culture. And, and that is that people are watching or listening or consuming sources that only confirm what they already think to be true, as opposed to augmenting their, their information base with more or looking at things from a different perspective. Liberals watch MSNBC and throw confetti in the, in the living room. Conservatives do the same when they watch Fox and CNN has gone back and forth trying to have be the best of both worlds and often gotten paralyzed. And I know great journalists at all those organizations, by the way, uh, but that, that's, that's not the issue. The issue is, is that people have lost the desire and I shouldn't say all people, but too many people have lost the desire to learn. 
to get more information, to have a broader perspective of the world. Uh, even if it's a narrow world like their city or their state, uh, it's, it's, it's very difficult to get people to pay attention when they think every, everything is, and I don't even say the word because it bothers me so much, F-A-K-E news. Uh, it's terrible. It's, it's terrible. And Trump knew exactly what he was doing. And he was, in, in a way, brilliant at doing it. Um, and so uh, you just have to keep trying and doing all the things that we try to do at the Indy. We disclose things. We, when, when we make mistakes, we correct them immediately and make sure that we have a note at the bottom saying uh, what, what was corrected and when, and if necessary, how the mistake was made. Uh, you have to do that. Uh, too often in our business, news organizations have talked down to their, to their readers or viewers and, and essentially said, hey, we're protected by the First Amendment. We have a noble job to do. Don't get in our way. Uh, don't complain. And, and I think that kind of arrogance has, has, has really hurt journalism, too. And then you have the outside, uh, the external uh, uh, critics who have, who have exploited every mistake that is made to try to, as I said earlier, paint all of us with a broad brush. Uh, I, I, I don't know what to do except to, 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 to make sure that my reporters have a grounding sense of ethics and, 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 and rectitude. And they are amazing. They, 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 I, I, I just thought of this term as we're sitting here. I'm, you've heard of rhinos uh, mm. being Republican in name. I'm a bino. I'm a boss in name only. These, these reporters run me. If they think that we're going in the wrong direction, they speak up. And it's been incredibly collaborative. And, and we talk about ethical issues. And I do something that I don't know many editors in the country, if any, do. When we uh, uh, decide to report on a controversial story, I will often write a blog post explaining our thought process behind it. Uh, again, it's just giving them a window into, into our thinking. And I've done that many times over the years. I have a blog on the site, for those of your listeners who don't know, it's called Ralston Reports. And many of those posts are about why and how we covered a story. I did one just this weekend about why we covered uh, the arrest of a couple of reporters uh, during some protests over the weekend. We I have wanted this to some extent to be a conversation with people uh, in, in Nevada about about Nevada. It's that that was a little bit too Pollyannish. If you look at almost any comment uh, section of any news organization, it, it can become a sewer. We we have gone back and forth on rules there too. I'm sorry if I'm going on too long about this, but I'm just going through some of the thought processes that we've gone through as an organization, and uh, eventually we just have essentially let most things go except for profanity and, 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 and certain maybe potentially libelous attacks. Uh, but uh, we have tried to elevate the discussion. And, and, and I think to some extent we have. Uh, and you mentioned our op-ed page. One thing I decided to do at the beginning, which I think has hurt the credibility of many news organizations that do do this, is endorsing candidates and writing editorials and taking very strong positions. Um, again, that I think has contributed to what people see as the arrogance of newspapers. Uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not denigrating newspapers that do editorials or endorsements. I'm telling you that what I decided is we are going to be down the middle on everything. Uh, we're going to provide as much information as possible for people to make their own decisions. But we're not going to tell them what to do. On the other hand, 
I wanted to have as robust an op-ed page as possible, a, a cauldron of ideas on all, on all sides swirling around uh, all the time. And I think we've achieved that too. I, I, I started with three columnists. One was who was pretty liberal, the other was pretty conservative, uh, and, the, uh, and, and, and the other who was a libertarian. And so, um, uh, and, and we have invited people to, to, to write op-eds and we've gotten some incredibly wise and smart and deeply thought out pieces and then responses uh, to those pieces. I think that helps people. They see different points of view. They can judge uh, for, for themselves. So um, we're learning all the time still. I mean, it is great. Uh, I, I don't mind saying I'm 60 years old. Uh, Jake, I'm gonna be 61 soon. Um, and, and I'm still learning on what the best ways to do this are. And I learn from my reporters almost every day and from readers too, who give us good suggestions on how to do this. Uh, and so uh, for a guy who likes to talk a lot, I think I've become a pretty good listener uh, during this period of my, of my career to, to, to criticisms and, and, and when they're constructive, right? And, and, and especially internally, uh, it really is a collaborative effort when we do anything major. And I just, uh, again, the talent that these reporters have the, the, that I have hired and their, their passion for doing what we're doing and doing it right, um, I, I, I shouldn't say this probably, but I will. I am thrilled that I have, that they have, are having such a good time and they're enjoying what they're doing that no one has left in three and a half years. And believe me, some of these, some of these reporters or most of them are talented enough to, to work for major national news organizations. Uh, and maybe some of them will, and I would wish them well if they, if they do, but they've stayed because they believe in the mission of the Indy. I, th I think there's there's three real takeaways there. That uh, very nice soliloquy, and I know you you want to apologize for talking too much, but that's why I, I had do. you on. I want you to talk. Uh, people hear me every time we do one of these things, so I'm going to let my guests ramble. Um, but for me, what I heard there, three major things. One is um, you're you love breaking through orthodoxy and doing things your way as long as it's the right way, right? There's some fundamental principles that you're not going to breach. And I appreciate that. And, you know, like, you know, not endorsing candidates. Instead, you're going to pull a bunch of information about all candidates. And I saw that really, really impressive, comprehensive um, judicial candidates review that you guys did. That was, I mean, that blew my mind. Um, very, very good work. We're very proud of that. Uh, it's the first time it's ever been done in this state. And I have to tell you, uh, the great feedback that we've gotten, Jake, and I'm sorry for interrupting yep. you, but you mentioned it. Um, uh, people every cycle, including myself, by the way, complain about the lack of information about judges. Uh, right. and, and you see empirically that, that there's a drop off on the ballot when people stop voting and they get down to the judicial uh, races and judges shouldn't run for office, but they do. And so we're in that universe. And so uh, it's been a long time since someone's presented the kind of comprehensive information. Well, it's never happened uh, in this state. And believe me, we didn't get nearly enough out there that I, as I wanted to, and we'll have even more in, in, in the general, but I'm really proud that we were able to do it. I'm thrilled at the feedback that we've gotten too. It was awesome because you allowed the candidates their own platform to say what they needed to say, which was really very, very cool. Um, but, and to that end, so the, the second theme that, I, that emerged from what you were saying there was that um, you guys are, not only are you interested in doing things differently and, and doing some emerging 
kinds of um, concepts. One of them is the, the the comment section, right? So instead of suppressing comments, um, you are comfortable enough in saying, all right, in the spirit of information gathering, we're going to let people debate this stuff in the comment section. In, and unless it gets overly nasty, we'll, we'll let it play out because people can hang themselves, so to speak, if, if they want to, uh, by their own idiocy. And then that happens. And, and I appreciate that because what it, what it basically says is you guys have enough faith. And that's kind of the third theme there is you guys have enough faith to say that we're going to present this stuff and we have enough trust in the people to absorb it, that they're going to make the right decisions as long as they have the information. Um, and, and that's really impressive, but what it, as I'm talking now, what, what also comes up as a fourth theme, I think, which is that you're not interested in chasing down the trend of the day, which is, uh, instant gratification clickbait. Um, and I think that's where, like, I'd like to, to get a little more opinion on is as we've been so inundated with the sensationalized headlines, um, even, even advertising now is it masquerades as journalism, even in print, it's like, you know, paid advertising section in three point font, but it looks and reads and feels like an article, uh, even though it's for a product or something. And it's really hard to, to separate that out. And what you guys have avoided is doing that. You haven't just done snapshot of candidate for judicial office A and snapshot for candidate of judicial office B. It's like many pages of, of information. And I'm wondering, because I go back and forth on this, part of me wants to keep doing long form interviews like this because I think people crave it. They're tired of the six minute segment of the talking heads telling them what to think. And I think there's a real desire for long in-depth conversation. There's a reason that Joe Rogan's podcast is so popular. Um, and we're not going to go three hours with this in case the listening audience is curious, but um, there's that and there's the value there, but there's also like the worry that I'm not going to get some, some clicks and some listenership if it's not brief and immediately digestible. In fact, when I started this uh, podcast, I wanted to be like Mike Rowe in his, um, the way I heard it, where he's like, you know, the, the curious podcast for the or short, short attention span and the curious podcast for the person with a short attention span or whatever his tagline is like seven to 10 minutes. And that's it. And I was like, man, I don't know. Am I part of the problem if I do that? And I appreciate that you guys haven't gone that route where you're like, just sensationalize, click this. Every art article is like many, many pages of content. It's really great. But tell, tell us what, what people might do to maybe avoid falling into the pit of like dopamine hit, dopamine hit, dopamine hit in their brains as they're scrolling through stuff. And how do you, how do you help somebody reroute out of that, that, you know, culture and social media have pushed us into this new habit now um, to, to take a step back, take some time, take, spend 10 minutes instead of 90 seconds and actually read and digest something. So you do get more information. Yeah. Well, listen, you, you'd know better than I, from your professional background, how difficult it is to change human behavior, especially once it becomes imbued or, or habitual. And so uh, how do you do what we're trying to do when everyone else or most other places are doing something that is much easier for people to digest? Uh, and, and it's not an easy question to answer. Um, uh, we have never given in to clickbait. We don't write clickbait headlines. At least we try not to. Um, we do write some shorter stories. We have something called the Indie Blog where we uh, put things that we think will be of interest to people. 
but but are, are, are not that don't merit an in-depth story, a development and a campaintain, an important government appointment, perhaps, things like that, where people want that information, they can go get that. Uh, we use we do we do use social media not in a clickbaity kind of way, and I'm referring mostly to Twitter and Facebook to drive traffic to the site. And and you can be more creative with stuff on Twitter and on Facebook in terms of describing a story. Now, we, we don't use exclamation points and highly charged inflammatory words to try to get people uh, into it, but at least there, you have to use it. Uh, so many people are gathering their news through Facebook or Twitter, you have to do it. We also have a newsletter that we put out every morning called the Daily Indie, uh, and we now have, I'm happy to say, thousands upon thousands of subscribers to that, Jake, who come into the site through there. And we, that's not sensationalized either. It's just we have the leads of the story and we say, click here to, if, if, if you're interested uh, in, in this. But as I said, I don't expect to have 10 million readers of the indie. Uh, I, I, we are not going to get everybody, but I do want every single person who is really interested in understanding the world better, understanding politics and government and education and energy policy and water policy better. And one of the reasons I think that my reporters love working in this environment is that I, is that I say to them, I don't mind if you write a daily news story that has 2,000 words. Most newspapers, news organizations would blanch at such, such, such latitude. But my reporters, while they went, may write long, they're not, they're not fluffy. These are substantive pieces from beginning to end. That doesn't mean that, you know, the editor should have been a little bit more vigilant and cut a paragraph here or, or a word there. But they, they are, if they're 4,000 words, they're 4,000 words for a reason. And, and so I, I couldn't be prouder of, of, of the environmental reporting that Daniel Rothberg has, has done or the energy reporting that Rob Snyder has done or the healthcare deep dives that, that Megan Messerly has, has, has done. I, I put their work up against anyone covering the same kinds of things. And they, what they like is they're given time to do that because, Jake, I don't insist on having, you know, we have to have six pieces of content every day to make sure we keep people on the site. Some days we'll have two. Occasionally we'll have only one. Often we'll have the, the, usually about three or four, but I, that part doesn't matter to me. It really doesn't. As long as they, they are taking the time, you know, do we need this story for tomorrow? They will still, after all this time, ask me. And I say, um, uh, uh, quoting a, 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 an old Orson Welles wine commercial, which you're probably too young to have remembered from for Gallo Wine, uh, that said, no, there will be no wine before it's time. There, there's no story before it's ready. And so, and they appreciate that. And I don't rush things into print. So, uh, I think that, I think people see that, you know, and I think probably you're a good example, actually, you know, you're, 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 you yearn for that kind of thing. The reason that you read the indie is because you want to understand issues that aren't in your wheelhouse better. And so yeah. you'll take the time to read a longer story because you think it helps you understand something that you need to understand as a human being, a citizen, a resident of Nevada, whatever uh, the case may be. Yeah, very much so. And I, I really appreciate that. Let's go back a little bit because you listed off several topics or uh, environment, energy, politics, governance. 
Um, you guys don't delve into arts and entertainment and sports, uh, other than maybe to say um, there's this, uh, you don't even do events really, you don't do event coverage too much, um, unless it's directly affected by public funding or, you know, something like that. So help, help me understand and help the, the, the listenership understand why not. Um, and then is the, is that going to be part of it in the, in the future? Or are you guys just going to stick with, uh, that stuff? And then how do you decide really, I guess is the, the better question. Great questions. Um, well, the most, the easiest way to explain it is this, is that, um, we have a limited budget. And I don't mind telling people what my budget is. My budget before the cuts was about 1.6 million a year. Uh, and that's all personnel costs. It's now half of that because of, of, of the pandemic and, and, and our funding getting badly hurt. But uh, it's all personnel costs. We have almost no overhead. We don't have a physical office. And I pay my reporters well um, and, and because, because, I, because they deserve it, because I want them to stay and, 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 the, and they have good benefits. And so... If I'm going to invest in more reporters, I want them to be covering what our core mission calls for them to be covering, which is the kind of policies you just listed off and, and, and others. Um, would I love to have a sports section? Sure. Uh, my girlfriend is mad at me that we don't have a, that we don't have a sports section. Uh, she says you could get more readers that way, and we probably could, but I'm not that's not what I'm in this for, to get more readers who will click on the sports section. I mean, the Review Journal in Las Vegas has essentially gotten into bed with the Raiders, uh, and, and they're essentially part of the Raiders organization to get clicks and to, and, and to make more money. I don't want to get into that business. Uh, I, I would love to have an art section. I keep threatening my number two and the reporters that because I'm a movie uh, aficionado, I'm going to start writing movie reviews. Uh, I wish I had the time. I, I don't have the time, but uh, maybe people would read that. Maybe they wouldn't. Um, so we just don't have bandwidth to do it. Now we don't have the money to do it, especially uh, now, but you know, in the future, what, what, what does the indie, if we get more of a solid foundation of footing foundation and money in the bank, might we think about doing things like that? Maybe, but I don't see it in the near future at all, even if I get some, some, some money in the bank, Jake, because I would rather pay my reporters more. I'd rather get an investigative unit together than covering sports or arts and leisure, even if we might broaden our audience. Uh, I know what our mission is. I know what our reporters think our mission is. And, and, and that, I don't think we're going to expand past that core mission for some time. Doesn't mean forever, but for some time. I appreciate that. It, and I appreciate the dedication to the, the mission and not allowing mission creep to take place. Um, you know, quality over quantity does still matter in some circles. And um, I know many people who, who are in those circles. Uh, back to the decision-making part, how does a news organization decide what gets printed, what gets covered, who gets listened to, um, what goes above the fold, so to speak, and what doesn't? Uh, what gets relegated to the blog versus feature article versus, you know, in-depth reporting versus investigative. Because uh, I don't think many people know. I think a lot of it's personal preference. Women fancy the editor, uh, you know, but is there a matrix? Is the, do you guys have a rubric of some sort that um, determines what you cover and what you don't? Um, well, I, I can only speak for the Indian. And of course, there's the, every news organization is different, but there are essentially two 
different kinds of news organizations in general. They're editor-driven news organizations and they're reporter-driven news organizations. That doesn't mean editor-driven don't, don't have good reporters and vice versa. Editor-driven news organizations are more, you have the meeting in the morning and the editors say, here's what you're going to cover and here's what we're going to cover uh, today. Reporter-driven is more, you, you have faith in your reporters to understand what the stories are and they and we don't have beats per se, although loosely to some extent we do. Riley covers energy, Daniel the environment, Megan uh, healthcare, uh, Michelle Rendell's covers immigration. But uh, every morning, I mean, we have a budget. Uh, it's, it's, in, it's in a Google Doc. Uh, and, and, and they go in there and, and, they, and they put in stories that they'd like to be covering and when they think they'll be done. And the most that we really do is guide them because they come up with great ideas, Jake, all the time. Uh, and they know what they're closer to the ground. And so I have more faith in them. Now, listen, I've been a journalist in the state for, for 35 years almost. And so I, I still have sources and I have some idea what's going on and I will suggest stories or get tips uh, but most of it is driven by that. Um, uh, uh, you know, there's a court hearing co coming up on this topic we've been covering. We should cover that. Uh, uh, we should check into the fact that the, the, the unemployment claims are still not being paid well, and let's see what's going on. And there's some people who want to get in contact with us. Uh, we've done various data-driven stories about the coronavirus in Nevada, and I would suggest that, that Megan Messerly's reporting on that is second to no yeah. one in the country. That's how good yeah. I think she's been. Audience uh, can't see me, but I'm nodding and my eyebrows went through the roof because it is yeah. really impressive. Yeah, yeah, I can see you. Yeah. And, and, uh, and that's what's important. Um, uh, <laughs> and so right. uh, <laughs> the, 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 the bottom line is, is that um, they drive our coverage. And, and I see myself as, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily a backseat driver, but someone maybe, uh, if you want to use a different mode of transportation, I'm in the boat, I'm the guy steering it while they're, while they're powering it. And so uh, I, I, I really, when I mentioned that it's a collaborative process, Jake, it really is. Uh, they come on, we, we, use, we use Slack, which a lot of people know what that is. It's an internal communications. Every morning they come on. Uh, and, and say what they think they want to cover, and we will comment saying, "Why don't you do this?" or "Or that sounds good." Uh, once a week, we have we have a a, a Zoom call um, uh, with all of the staff. We have that every Monday. We had it this morning. Um, we do it on Zoom not because of the pandemic, but because we don't have a physical office, and half the states in Re half the staffs in Reno, and half is in uh, or Carson City, and half is in Las Vegas, and so we at least like to see each other's faces once a week and talk about stories and other issues. And there's often some vigorous debate on those Zoom calls about what we should be doing, how we should be doing certain things. And what's great about my reporters is they have no fear in telling me when they think I'm wrong and pushing back on it. And I think that I've cultivated that. I'll give myself credit for this part of it, Jake, is that they know that, that that's not insubordination or, 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 or that it will be taken wrong. I, I have a lot of faith and respect for, for, for their opinions. And so um, they, they drive the cov coverage pretty much, although in the macro sense, we will talk about, like for instance, I'll just give everybody a sense of like this morning, uh, we were talking about two major things. One is how we're going to cover any protests because it's not what we do. We're not a breaking news 
organizations going forward and what other deeper issues about race relations and use of force and those kinds of things in Nevada, we, we can work in the more contextual way. That's what people expect from us as opposed to the latest uh, act of violence on the strip or something like that. And the other thing we're talking about is, of course, all the casinos are opening on Thursday. How are we going to cover that? What kinds of in-depth stories are we going to do uh, on that? And everyone, including uh, myself and my number two, Elizabeth Thompson, are throwing out ideas and, and the reporters. And then we uh, decide what's going to be covered. We're still a relatively small staff. I only really have six or eight full-time reporters. And so we can only do so much. But what we do, I always want to say, we want to do better than anybody else. And we want to go deeper. And we, and we want to do it both broader and deeper than anybody else. And that's why, uh, you know, to, to, to quote the great philosopher Clint Eastwood, a man's got to know his limitations. And, and we know our limitations. And we don't try to stretch beyond those. But what we do, I'll put up against anyone else. Do you, uh, do you get any pushback from the broader public about what you cover or don't cover? Um, the short answer is yes. Um, and, and it's frustrating sometimes because a lot of the things people will push back on us about are things I'd want to cover. For mm. instance, since I covered politics and I was known as a political reporter and pundit and, and, and host of a, a public affairs show for so long, um, people email me about all kinds of things and say, why, why don't you cover this? And most of these things are, are, are local government issues. And I would love to have come more coverage of local government. We just don't have the bandwidth for it yet. It's one of the things, the two things I want to do if we expand right away are not sports and arts and leisure, but covering local government, which I think gets terrible coverage, not because there are terrible reporters, but because most of these news organizations have been gutted and they don't have time to devote uh, to covering all of the local governments, North Las Vegas, Henderson, Sparks, Reno, in the way that they need to be covered. And so we don't do enough on that. We really don't. We, we have dabbled in it a little bit when there are bigger issues at play, like, for instance, marijuana licensing or controversial uh, 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 kinds of stories like that. We'll cover a Reno City Council meeting. Uh, but we, we generally have that. Carolyn Goodman goes on national television and says all kinds of idiotic stuff. We are going to cover that because it's about a greater issue uh, than, than, than uh, just, a, you know, the zoning agenda. So... Um, uh, most of the stuff that I get frustrated about that people want us to cover and we don't get to is local government kinds of things, Jake. And we just, I want to cover it. We will cover it eventually if the plan uh, goes as, 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 as I hope it does. But, you know, and we were, this was the year we were going to get sustainable and start doing the expansion. And then the pandemic hit and I was lucky to keep the thing alive and uh, uh, knock on whatever's in front of me here. Uh, we're, uh, you know, I, I've managed to do that. It's become a survivability year as opposed to an expansion sustainability year. So more donations is what I'm hearing. More all the okay. time. All right. More. Anybody who's listening wants to donate more donations. Um, what's the future of journalism? Uh I, I guess I guess the one word I would use is bleak, but I try not to be uh, depressed about it uh, because then you're just paralyzed and, and, sure. and you throw up your arms and you say, why are we doing what we're doing? But I'm worried. Uh, uh, you know, the, the for-profit model um, uh, uh, is in big trouble. Um, advertising is drying up, uh, and especially during this pandemic, 
news organizations are either um, uh, cutting their budgets dramatically that were already cut, or they're going out of business. Uh, you see what's happened to rural newspapers in this state. It's been horrible, Jake. And we have mm -hmm. partnerships with a lot of those rural newspapers. It's one of the things, again, that I'm very proud of is that these rural newspapers were eager to, to use some of our content. We cover rural Nevada, too. We consider ourselves a statewide news organization, but they're gone. Yeah. Most of them are, are, are just terrible. And so, and it's going to start happening to larger and larger newspapers. The Cleveland Plain Dealer is out of business, a Jeez. venerable paper. It's just insane. And, and so if, if, if you don't have a, a, a friendly billionaire willing, willing to take over your paper and take the losses that are inevitably going to occur, you're going to have good models where that could work. And then you're going to have models where the billionaire has other interests that might affect how the newspaper operates, and that's not good. Uh, so I'm worried about the for-profit model. I have friends, uh, believe it or not, at the Reno Gazette Journal, at the Las Vegas Review Journal, at the Las Vegas Sun, and you know uh, they have to all be worried. You know the the RGJ has done furloughs. Gannett, uh, which is the parent company, is in big trouble uh, all across the country, uh, and you know. I, it's not as if I want to have a monopoly in Nevada and have the Indy be the only news outlet. That's not good for Nevadans, as good a job as we do. There's a lot more stuff to cover, and I want a robust marketplace of journalism organizations. But that marketplace has become constricted. It's much more difficult to have a thriving news organization now. Digital ads do not produce the kind of revenue that, that, that a lot of people thought they were going uh, to Produce, but I got to tell you, I don't want to use the word desperation, but one of the things I tried during this pandemic was we thought about doing Google ads for a while uh, to get some revenue, even though I said that one of the things I was proud of is that we don't take advertising, not for ethical reasons, but just the site is so clean. People love that the site is so clean. There's no pop-up ads, no pop-up videos, none of that stuff you get on a lot of sites, but we decided to try a Google ads. And they bothered me and the staff so much after a few weeks, we just said, forget it. Um, it, it. It wasn't making that much money either, although any new revenue stream for a nonprofit organization is helpful, but it just, it, it diminished what we were doing. And, and, and so I, I got rid of it. But um, you see all these news organizations doing all kinds of stuff now that I don't think they would have done uh, in, in, in better times. Um, taking what you what you earlier described, uh, which are known as advertorials, which are unless you look and see the small print that says paid advertisement, they look like news stories. And there there are newspapers, including newspapers in this state, who have decided that they have to do that to remain in business. Uh, I understand the pressures. I'm not going to criticize them for doing that. But I'll never do that. It's just it's never worth that. What? Why did that happen to the long-standing news institutions? Because in my head, and I don't want to push you wonder, and it's not binary, but it's it seems to be either um, advertiser people who need to advertise your your random business that's selling whatever they're selling is finding it more effective to go onto Facebook and Instagram to generate business, or is it just people aren't interested in news anymore and they're getting their stuff from whoever's typing about his meal review in his bedroom. 
combination probably, but I mean- It is a combination of things, but you hit on it. Uh, um, uh, And I guess I'd use the example of my son who is 24 years old and who, I I don't know if he's ever read the indie. Uh, That's the kind of kid he is. And, but you know, he'll, he'll call me once in a while and say, this is terrible, this story or this, you know, I just read about this. Did you know about this? And I asked, I say, where did you read that? And he will always give the same answer, Facebook. Uh, and so there, people are, especially younger people, are tuning out of, 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 of the so-called mainstream media and getting their news in other ways. Uh, and, it, and it's changed the news business. Now, I don't know enough about this to present myself as, a, as an authority, uh, but advertising revenue for newspapers is not what it once was. And if you don't have ad revenue and you're a for-profit newspaper, you can't you stay in business. You just, you cannot do it, which is why I said, Unless you have a, 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 a benevolent or not so benevolent billionaire uh, who can take the losses, uh, you're, you can't stay in business forever. So maybe the future of journalism is like, I mean, it's, fed, it's funded by the federal government, but it's like public television or public radio where it's like you just do your telethons and people who want it support it. Then the, the people who need it pay for it and everybody else just falls away and gets either, you know, incomplete information or disinformation or brief headlines with two paragraphs of content. And maybe, maybe that is it, which in my estimation is bleak because then you're getting not the full picture, which is sad. Um, And people are just getting, you know, their opinions based on headlines from Facebook rather than in-depth commentary. And I don't know, maybe that's where it goes, but either way, I would love to see more of these organizations like yours pop up. Are you seeing them by the way? I want to be mindful of time. We're, I want to wrap up and respect your time, but yeah, I mean, uh, l- listen, this is an important question, Jake. Uh, I went to a, we're, we're members of a couple of nonprofit news organizations, and I've gone to a couple of conferences, uh, and uh, I, I, these numbers may be slightly off, but but they're close. A couple of years ago, I went to one, and they're uh, the biggest one, uh, and there were about eighty nonprofit news organizations represented. Last year when I went, I believe the number was 220. So they are proliferating. Most of them are small. Most of them are not Texas Tribune size or even Nevada Independent size, but they're small. A great story is that um, the political reporter for the Review Journal uh, through the 2016 cycle, or maybe it was, God, time so elastic now, 2018 cycle, um, uh, uh, came to me one day, she was working for the RJ and she said, I love what you're doing at the independent. Uh, I think it's the future. I, I, I want to go back to my hometown of San Jose and I want to do this. I want to do what you're doing and I want you to help me and, and, and give me some advice. And if you would, because you've been so successful here in Nevada, if we get this done, I want you to come speak at our kickoff. Well, sure enough, she did it. She and her husband left uh, Nevada, moved to San Jose, started up something called the San Jose Spotlight. I did go up there and speak, and they're still in business. I think they're a year and a half old now or so, That's something awesome. like that, but it's really difficult to do, but you know, they, they are making an impact, best I can tell. Uh, I don't follow them super closely, but I try to keep up with what she's, she and her husband are doing, and, they, and we email uh, uh, back and forth, and so I do think they're going to keep um, uh, um, uh, sprouting, but the product has to be the has to be able to sell, right? Whether it's for profit or not, you have to get people to donate. You know, you can't just uh, start up a website and not have content that people need or think they need or want 
and 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 make it sustainable. And and uh, uh, I I I really believe that it's the future, though, that people do want community-based, transparent, in-depth journalism they can trust that will say, and you know, no one could have said anything better to me than what you said, which is you're down the line, you're, you're not biased. And, I, and people believe that. Listen, there are people not, what's great about this in a way, although I think it drives my reporters crazy sometimes, is I have a very long paper trail. Uh, <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of video of me saying very opinionated things. I'm an opinionated guy. And I still do on social media to some extent. But you can't go on the site and see my opinions, even if you think you know what they are reflected in the news stories. And my reporters would quit, anybody who knows them, if I ever said, you've got to report, you've got to do this story. And, and I, I laugh sometimes at my reporters when they do stories that are one of our major donors might not like. We don't know. As I said, I've never gotten a phone call. <laughs> My reporters will joke with me, sorry, John, you're going to have to step up the fundraising efforts after this story. And we joke about it because none of us really care. We're just doing what we, what, what we do. Uh, this whole fundraising thing has been a new world for me, but I've embraced it. And the only reason I've been able to embrace it, because I believe so passionately in what we're doing. I don't mind asking anybody for money. When people say, I love the indie, I read the indie, uh, I, I don't say thanks first. First, I say, are you a donor? Uh, and then I say thanks. And if they say I'm not a donor, I say why not. Uh, and and so what's really been gratifying. I know I'm going on a little too long, and we probably have to wrap up anyhow. Oh, your time. That, I I mean I can do this all afternoon. But is that is is that during the pandemic when I went public with our financial situation, which was we were essentially were broke, is the hundreds upon hundreds, and it's I think it's up to six or seven hundred readers now who have come forward and become recurring monthly donors to help us stay in business. We also got a foundation grant. We've had a couple of generous uh, individuals as well. But um, we're not out of the woods yet by a long shot, but at least I can say to my team, I don't have to worry when I wake up if I can, if I can pay you even the cut salaries that, I, that, I'm, that I'm paying you. And so that's been really, really gratifying. If there's a silver lining, it's that people have really uh, 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 shown us that they really do want us to stay in business. They care about what we're doing. Uh, and, and they're willing to pay for it, even if it's $5 a month or $10 a month. Uh, in some ways, coming out of a month where I've gotten 50 new recurring donors, even at a small amount, is more gratifying to me than getting a $25,000 contribution uh, from them because they're going to be there for a long time. Well, it means I trust you. And it, and it means that your work stands on its own. And that goes back to something very early in the conversation where I said that you and your staff have an incredible amount of faith and confidence that what you're doing is going to work. It's going to be sustainable. And you don't need to go chase down all the, the flashy gimmicks. Um, and, and there may be competitors that rise and fall and all that stuff. And there may be people doing it the wrong way. And, and you just don't have to worry because integrity uh, it, it, it avails itself, right? It, it, it self presents and it self manifests. And, and, and I think as you're talking, I was thinking about the donors, they're not worried about pulling their funding because you called them on something because transparency begets other transparency. And if your donors are transparent and they're doing the reasonable thing and they make a mistake, they're probably going to be the first ones to own it anyway. And so they won't mind you writing about it because they're like, yeah, we already know this, but that's fine. And they're going to keep supporting that because eventually they know it's going to, the ripple effect will take over 
and we'll all become way more accountable and we'll all become more productive and, and benefit society in a greater way. So, I mean, I think, you know, to kind of put a bow on this whole thing, I mean, the, the point of journalism is to hold the, the elites and the powerful and the government uh, accountable. And that's good because sunlight disinfects, as we all know, and not in like a insert it in your body and kill the virus kind of way. Yeah. But, um, but it's, it, it really truly helps advance all causes when you can do that honestly and, and authentically. Um, you wrote a book that I happened to read and I, I, I really liked it because I was uh, involved in many campaigns during the, that time. It was called The Anointed One. I want to give a plug because it was, it was great. Anybody who's been in Nevada for any period of time uh, should go back and read this. It was about the, the Gwynn campaign uh, when Kenny Gwynn was running for governor. It's really great. But I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about, are you going to write any more books soon? Uh no, you're swamped, but <laughs> before before the pandemic hit, um, I actually um, uh, had two book proposals in the work works, and I don't have time to do one with what I do. So yeah. I don't know what's going to become of them. Uh, I can't really talk about them right now, but uh, they, they they are both books that that. Uh, what I liked about the doing the anointed one was it wasn't really about Kenny Gwynn's race as it was, mm. much as it was to show how Nevada politics works. It was the dynamics. It was really cool. Small group of people really control a lot of different things. Those are the things I'm interested in writing about uh, and, and using the stories of people again in Nevada to tell, to talk about greater themes. Both of these books that uh, I'm considering doing, if I, if, if I ever get around to them, or if we ever get publishers interested in them, are, are, are similar in that way. That's cool. Because I really appreciated the, the level of detail. And you even acknowledged in there, you're like, I'm, I might lose some friends and some contacts over this. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think that ended up being the case, right? Uh, you know, I don't remember. So it got 20 years now uh, <laughs> since that was published. Uh, I, yeah, I mean, listen, there, there, were, there were some people whose feathers were ruffled over certain things in the book. Um, but losing friendships. Now, one of the things I've been able to do through my career is uh, piss off a lot of people who still remain my friends, because I think that even if they got mad at what I did, they knew I was at least trying to be fair. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't a lot of people out there who don't like me, but I think there are a lot more people who appreciate what the, the, the kind of passion and the ethics and the desire for fairness I brought to what I did every day. Yeah, agreed. Um, all right, I'm going to wrap this up because uh, we've droned on long enough and put two of us in the room. We could probably talk all evening, but um, it's been a lot of fun. I, I just I love talking about this stuff, and yeah. I love that you're interested in it too. I real it really means a lot to me. It's neat, and I, I want I wanted to do it because it, it matters. Um, it's something that I think is on a lot of people's minds these days. Like, where do I get my accurate information? And the lesson, the takeaway for me is um, read more. That's it. Just like, you know, I read about that. Read more, read more, read everything and have a, a strong enough ego to let it dissolve when confronted with something that you, that doesn't feed your echo chamber or your confirmation bias. And I, I think that's really important. That's, that's the lesson everybody. You want to, you want to really know something, be courageous enough to hear all sides of it, not two sides. Cause there's always more than two. Um, right. so thank you for that. So the Nevada independent.com is where you go. It's nice and wordy. Um, but, uh, on Twitter, you're a good follow. All your reporters, uh, always link to stuff that they're covering as they're covering it real time. 
Um, their stories are all excellent as we've gone over and over again. Um, can't say enough about how appreciative I am to have you guys in our community continue to do what you do. I'm not going to let you off with just that though. Um, what I want to ask is pick one. If there's an influence in your life who you would like other people to uh, research or be exposed to, or if you have one exhortation, you could do both, I guess. I don't want to pin you down. If you have one exhortation to give to the audience, what would it be? Well, I mean, I guess I'll try to an answer both. Uh, I mean, I guess what I would say is there's a guy named Bob Stodall who was a longtime news director at Channel 8, and I worked for Channel 8 and, uh, for, for a little while. And uh, Bob actually fired me from my first uh, TV gig uh, for a variety of different reasons many, many years ago. Um, and Bob and I are not only still friends, but Bob, uh, who is truly a, a legendary journalist, is now the chairman of the board of the Nevada Independent. Uh, and he has been a guiding light for me. And, and uh, he has written a lot uh, over the years about history. He knows a lot more about Nevada history and his sense of ethics and what's fair and what's not have helped mold me into the journalist I became. So uh, he has really been a tremendous influence uh, on me. As far as what I would exhort your listeners, you said it yourself. And so I'll say it again. Um, get out of your own head and your own echo chamber. Read a lot of different kinds of, of things, but be discerning. That's the most important thing. Uh, anyone can put up a blog. Anyone uh, can, can get an IP address and put something on the internet that may sound credible. Do your due diligence. Uh, read as many different uh, credible sources as you can, left, right, center, to try to understand issues better. Uh, that is how I became a better political journalist when I first started out, as I read all kinds of different people from different uh, ends of the spectrum. And it was so helpful in trying to understand issues and how and why people felt uh, about issues. And I just hope people care enough uh, still to do that, Jake. That's the most important thing. And there's so many things I want to ask. Um, and I and I lied when I said I was going to let you off that. I have to ask one more. Are you guys going to do coverage of the election now that it's like this mail-in thing? Because that was, that was spectacular a couple of years back. I love watching the, the, the reporting unfold. Um, we, we are. Uh, we have been. We've been doing previews of a lot of different uh, races, both in the north and in the south. And even we're going to have a couple of rural ones that, that are published uh, this week. Uh, we have an election page uh, that I'm very proud of. People can go on the site and they'll say election 2020. And we have um, rundowns of, 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 of most of the major races uh, in the state. And uh, on election night, June 9th, uh, we are going to be, we're going to do what we've done for several cycles, which we're going to be live. That's what I meant. On, on, the, on I, the web. Uh, on, on the, on, on, we're going to be doing a Facebook live and on the Indies in, in TV page where I, I will be uh, um, uh, co-anchoring with my number two, Elizabeth Thompson. We'll have reporters on, but mostly it'll be about presenting results. And if, if and when races can be called, I will call them. Yeah, that's uh, what and, I meant was the TV thing. I totally yeah. misspoke, but yeah. So yeah, we'll be doing that. That was fun watching, watching yeah. the, because I don't know, like precincts, are they still going to close? Or like, I don't, is the secretary of state's tallying this live and we just don't know it? Well, the, the problem with the mail balloting um, uh, in terms of the results is that 
you can go and mail your ballot all the way up until the post office yeah, closes yeah. on June 9th. So they're going to be counting those ballots for a week. And so we may not have final results for a week after the election. Some of the races may be uh, landslides and you can call them that night. I think that will be the case, but others might be too close to call. So what I'm hearing is you guys and your staff will be on TV for a week straight. That'll be fun. I, look <laughs> I hope to not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> Well, uh, thank you, John Ralston, editor and founder of the Nevada Independent, for coming on the Noggin Notes podcast. I really appreciate it. It was super fun. Um, and for those of you who don't know, I've followed John for a number of years. I've, I hold him in a high degree of regard and have a great deal of respect for him. Um, I think you should start teaching, but I know you have your plate full, but maybe at some point you should go back and teach in the university level because I think you'd be a hoot to have as a professor. Um, You're not the first person who said that to me. And my dad was a professor and he, uh, may he rest in peace, used to say that to me too. And I think, I think I would love teaching. I just, uh, and some of my friends have done it and, and told me I should do it. I just, it's again, it's once I started the independent, it's just been all consuming. Yeah. And it's, it's just been, it's been by far the hardest and most rewarding thing I've done, but it is time consuming, Jake. Yeah. There's, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of uh, um, free time that I would have to teach as much as I think I would love it. And hopefully uh, I, I'd be good at it. Well, and it's not like you're not. I mean, every time you talk about your reporters, I can see you light up and that's your mentorship and that's your give back to the profession now as I as I see it. So it's not like you're not being fed and it's not like you're you know not giving back to the community and, and shepherding those those fledgling people. They're not fledgling anymore, but you got interns who are fledgling, which is great. Right. So you're, right. you're doing it anyway. It doesn't have to be in the formal brick and mortar classroom. I appreciate that. Well, on behalf of the Noggin Notes team and the Zephyr Wellness family, I wish you all great mental wellness. Take care. Thank you.